Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Data Binge Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Russell, and I hope you are prepared for an exciting journey into thinking bigger and accelerating positive outcomes. So if you are a technologist or someone in a position in business where you are yourself trying to understand how to adopt a more differentiated mindset around solving problems, this episode is definitely for you. Today, I will be talking with Randy Holloway, who is the Intelligent Cloud Solutions Lead at Microsoft. He's been with the company for about 14 years now. His focus is centered around helping customers transform, adopt solutions, but most importantly, and you'll you'll hear this throughout the talk, he's really laser-dialed in on changing culture internally and amongst partners and customers that reflect dramatic and provocative thinking that changes the business outcomes of people and organizations. I, I loved this episode. I myself learned so much from it, and I was really lucky to have Randy get in the zone with us uh, and get really deep with us here. I really hope everyone enjoys it, and let's start dreaming big. If you haven't already, please leave a rating on iTunes and or a comment with some feedback, positive or negative, so I know how to continue navigating what is valuable to you all here. Thank you so much for listening. And now I bring you Randy Holloway. Randy Holloway, how are you, sir? Hey, Derek. How are you? It's good to be here. Hey, it's good to have you on. Thank you for joining the Data Binge podcast today. We've been uh, trying to chase each other for a while. You're a, you're a busy guy. Long-time listener, first-time caller. As they <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Randy. So, hey, let's get, let's get going. Um, I wanted to have you on. I've been kind of chasing you down. Uh, because you've been a really wonderful mentor to me and a lot of our colleagues and a lot of uh, even our competitors uh, and partners um, have said some good things about you uh, being a, a visionary, a tech visionary, and we don't run into too many of those kind of folks uh, these days. Um, so uh, we're really going to dig in and find out why they think that today. So I hope you're ready. Great. <laughs> um, and if you could start off by uh, talking to us about your background and what you're doing uh, today at Microsoft and what you've been doing. Sure. No, that'd be great. So um, first off, you know, I explored a number of different career paths before I got into tech. Um, but at the core, I've always been a technologist ever since I was younger. Um, uh, kind of came by it honestly through family and got exposed to technology very early. Uh, my grandfather was a ham radio operator. He used to write computer programs um, back in the day, like kind of even like very early dawn of the PC era. Um my aunt was a software developer. She started her own company building retail management systems. She had a lot of knowledge about shoe stores and she would sell her system to independent shoe stores. So I was around tech growing up and I got the software development coming out of college and pretty early in my career, I had a chance to actually work on um, at a small company, a product that became really big and run a product that actually was um, used by, you know, tens of thousands of users every month. And uh, it was really kind of an interesting opportunity um, to get that kind of experience um, very early. And then I also transitioned into leadership, like leading a, a, what was a small IT organization and a company that was growing really fast and it became really big. And so all of a sudden we went from like doing stuff that typically small companies do to like implementing SAP. And I got to run an SAP implementation and, you know, kind of major business transformation initiatives. And this is the early 2000s. So when I came over to Microsoft in 2004, it was really about, you know, I saw all the opportunity and all the um, kind of exciting things that Microsoft was doing. But for me, at the core of it was about 
empowering more people and more developers to do more with technology. Um, and that was really what motivated me to come over. And so I started for Microsoft in uh, the St. Louis office. So I was based in Missouri. Um, and early in my career, I was a sales engineer at Microsoft. So we, we refer to that role here as the technology specialist. Uh, I was focused on SQL Server at the time. And so we're doing a lot with customers. We're doing .NET development and SQL and you know, either bringing that into the environment and maturing how they used it or uh, potentially displacing other technologies. Um, and I shifted into direct sales roles. I had account related roles and solution focused roles. I really liked that. What was the best about it is I got to work with these really big companies that, you know, outside of Microsoft, I hadn't been exposed to like Enterprise Rent-A-Car and Edward Jones and MasterCard and Monsanto and many others. But I got to see how they did business on a global scale. Um, and I learned a lot um, early in my career at Microsoft, not just about technology, but but how to how to operate within global companies and how to help them. But it, what was really interesting at Microsoft is that in about 2010, it became really clear to me that the cloud was going to be our future. Um, I could just see it. And it really started around, uh, I think virtualization was coming to the enterprise like in the mid 2000s to late 2000s, becoming very mainstream. Like I remember having big customers and they were like, like, yeah, we virtualized exchange and we're running our email server on, on like VMware. And we're like, oh, holy cow, what are you guys doing? Like, we don't even support that. And they're like, no, you guys don't get it. Like, it's so effective for us to do it that way. It's so much more efficient. Like, we're going to do it. Like, we're going big on that. And I could see as we started to shift our approach to how do we help customers optimize their data centers, optimize the technology assets, that uh, right around that time, we had this thing called Red Dog. Um, and that was the code name for Azure. Um, and I remember going to a tech ready and hearing about it. And I was like, man, this is like, this is so exciting. So I actually had the opportunity to move to Southern California for Microsoft to lead a private cloud specialist team. Um, but at that time, I could really see ahead. I thought it's really going to be Azure and private cloud be like a bridge to help customers figure out how to get their arms around these challenges. And that really, I think, proved to be the case. It took a little bit longer, sometimes than you think it will, but certainly that's where we are today. In 2013, I had a chance to move to 100%, a role that was 100% focused on Azure. And that was super exciting for me. Um, at that time, it was in a worldwide incubation org at Microsoft. And we put things in incubation that we're trying to develop and learn how to do and expose customers to and figure out how to make it really scale. And so got a lot of early learnings about how to go talk about public cloud um, in enterprise customers. Um, and by the way, Amazon had been doing this for a few years, but they really started out mostly um, with software development organizations and consumer product organizations and media organizations. And so, you know, we, we had a lot of the early learnings about how to go to the enterprise because um, uh, I don't think Amazon was there much before we were in that sense, even though they had more market share, more customers. Uh, so started doing that in 2013. It was a great experience, had a lot of different opportunities in different areas of Azure to lead teams and businesses. And then at the beginning of 2018, I came into my current role where I'm leading this intelligent cloud solutions team for everything around our applications, our infrastructure, our data and AI for the top 300 customers that Microsoft manages in the Southwest. And I really love that because, you know, we have seven major markets. We're in six plus states. Uh, we have a massive amount of the U.S. continent. If you really think about it, like we go past the continental divide. We have like literally more than a quarter of the landmass of the continental U.S. And so 
it presents a lot of challenges, a lot of great opportunity. Um, and for me, you know, I think about my role, it's really about helping customers adopt our solutions, um, you know, helping us, helping them to transform, think about what does that mean for their business, um, but also creating a culture where we think more about our role as driving a business outcomes and success outcomes for the customer, not just about driving cloud features or product capabilities into our customers. So, and I think that's really important because the, you know, my perspective is that it, there's an incredible amount of responsibility that comes, uh, that, that's on us when we're helping customers and advising them around transformation. Um, whenever I want to know how we're doing with a customer, the first thing I'll ask them is I'll say, talk to me about what we're doing for you that improves the experience of your customers. Like, tell me what we're doing. And that, that conversation typically goes one of two ways. Um, if it's a really rich dialogue around how we're engaged in projects and initiatives and, and uh, various you know, critical priorities for the customer, they're really about how they modernize in their industry and change how the customer experience works and deliver services in a new way, then I know we're on the right track. And then if I have the conversation and it's about, hey, we're engaged with these IT stakeholders and we're working on these IT projects and here's the product names, like here's a list of product names of all the stuff we're working on. Um, I sometimes wonder, are we doing enough? Don't get me wrong. IT is a really, really important customer and a change agent within our customers to help them transform. But if we're not having any impact beyond the, the IT department directly, I don't think we're doing enough. I don't think we're bringing enough the assets of Microsoft. So that's just a little bit about how I think about my role and what our team should be doing day to day. That's amazing. That's amazing, Randy. So I heard a lot there, um, sales, uh, evangelism, uh, learning, engineering, um, motivating people to do more, which is um, how I kind of know you. Um, so, and then another thing that you, we had a conversation not too long ago, and this is where I, really where I want to go. And uh, I think you were talking about, um, we were just talking about a customer and exactly what you just said. You were, how, do you, how, how do we touch the experiences of our customer's customer? And what, and what does that mean? And I think you said something along the lines of, look, we're talking about um, constructing and architecting and designing this two-story house. How do we build a space station? And like, it just like my eyes just like turn into juju bees and I'm like, holy crap. Like I, like this, per, like how that's a, a very impactful way of thinking. And you've given uh, lectures or, or presentations to our intelligent cloud team about 10 X thinking. Sure. Uh, I'd like to, to ask you, how did you adopt this mindset? Um, times you mentioned some people in your family about you have some developers and it sounded like some, some folks that were, some hustlers and about overcoming challenges and adversity. What, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Sure. I mean, so first off, I didn't invent 10X thinking. Um, the, I believe it was the phrase was coined out of Google X, which is now actually X incorporated a division of Alphabet. So for folks that are familiar with Google, um, and it really, it really was about them trying to move away from what, what was going on in the industry has been going on for, you know, decades, which was, basic technology research. So that's sort of research for the sake of research, um, seeing what comes out of that, and then trying to figure out how to apply those technologies to real world problems. Um, the 10X thinking mindset comes about, let's look at the world as it is, 
let's set it aside and think what could what could we dramatically change? Where could we drive exponential change that drives like outcomes that we couldn't easily envision today? And that's where um, also the phrase like moonshot thinking comes from mm-hmm. at Google, where they talk about that. And obviously, that's a you know that's a phrase that's used everywhere um, uh, to re- you know refer to our lunar program, you know, from the 1960s. But I think it applies here where. It really, there's really two ways to approach thinking about, you know, applying technology to a problem. One is more of like an optimization mindset. The other is um, more of a, you know, maybe call it unbounded mindset. In optimization, what you're going to look at is you're going to look at what are the people in place, what's the process in place, what's the current solution area or problem area we're trying to solve for, and what are the best tools to go optimize and improve that experience. And we have to do that. Like that's an important thing. Like we have to do that. Our customers have to do that. We have to think about how do we take the best tools we have and optimize them for an existing problem. Um, the 10x thinking can really come in when you start to think about um, how can we reframe the problem, or we even focus on the right one. Um, you know, it might come in the the realm of customer experience, where you say like, hey, you go to the bank, and what is your experience like when you're standing at the line in the bank? And if major financial institutions had just said, hey, like our job is to make sure when you're standing in line at the bank that that's the best experience possible. The question I think that was the right question is why do you have to go to the bank? Like why do you even have to be there? And of course, that's a solved problem, I think for many of us where um, I personally haven't been in a bank um, in probably about nine months. And the last time I went, it was to ask for a service that they don't even offer anymore <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the branch. And they sent me down the street to a place that a little place that does shipping and some other business services. And, and I got it done there. And so the, the real question is um, if you're really a challenger um, uh, would be to like a, a financial services customer, like what do you, why do you even need branch operations anymore? Or um, maybe to say like, if you have people that are coming into your branch and they do need to use that services, what else could they be doing that would really make that a much better use of their time? Um, I saw a recent commercial on television where Capital One is now marketing these kind of cafe style environments where you can come and work and do other things and like just sort of asynchronously get like financial services stuff done. I don't know if that's the right answer, but I think that's certainly um, the type of thinking that I'm talking about, which is to say like, you know, let's not treat the problem as we've traditionally addressed it. Let's try to reframe the problem or even question that problem. Is it the right one to focus on? And I think when we do that, what happens is a couple things. Number one, we unlock creativity. Number two, we start to put a different frame on the type of outcomes we can get to, which is not like, how do I make the experience go faster at the bank? But it's like, what are, you know, how do I help someone to do the things they need to do that require a support of a financial institution? And how can they get those things done faster? And so for me, it's really about um, mindset is what it comes down to and trying to really think much bigger about how we can influence positive outcomes for people rather than focus on looking at what they're doing and how to just improve the current state. Because often the current state is so broken that you can't possibly achieve great outcomes as with that as a starting point. It's incredible. And I really like, you know, you kind of taking and defining the 10x thinking and how it was developed through Google X. And I've, I've read some stuff from Grant Cardone and Peter Diamandis and they're their abundance thinking and things like that. And um, it's, it's one thing I think for folks to read that stuff. It's another thing 
for them to evangelize it and you you help evangelize it with customers um, and um, uh, people that you manage as well. Uh, what's the hardest thing about getting people to think that way and and how do you over how do you help evangelize overcoming um, that diminishing mindset at this point? No, I think it's I think it's a great it's a great challenge to think about. I mean, a, a couple things. First, you know, we're all we're all uh, I think accountable to deliver results day to day and to operate. You know, you know, we have current processes, current sets of expectations, current things we have to deliver, and so I really think it comes down to culture. What I mean by that is is that creating a culture and an environment where people understand that it's expected that they try to stretch and think of creative new ways to solve problems. And, um, you know, I think out of the box is certainly probably a way overused phrase, but really uh, maybe a better way to describe that would be reframe problems in a new way and help to get people to understand like how it can be creative and really do things differently. And so, um, and, and I think it does start with culture because the way I see it, uh, you know, there's, there's two ways to, you know, really think about, you know, how to, how to be productive and effective. Number one is like, Hey, I can take all the sets of things I'm asked to do and I can try to optimize my time and my energy and my capacity to do them and to do them as effectively as I can. Or I can take the things that I'm asked to do and I can understand the why, like, why am I being asked to do that? What's the purpose behind that? Or shifting it to a customer. What's the purpose behind what the customer is trying to achieve? Like, why are those the outcomes that they, they are working towards? Why are they important? How are they important in the context of their overall priorities? And I think oftentimes when you look at it just a slightly different way, what's apparent to you is that, um, you know, people will fall into a, a, you know, a mindset, a way of thinking based on the outcomes they've been trying to achieve and the ways they've been trying to do it in the past. And they might even lose sight, even their own organization, of what the real challenge is or what the real opportunity is. And I think we're all at risk of that every day. So um, to me, it's permission. It's permission to step back and reframe a problem. It's permission to, um, you know, to set aside time to say, hey, I need to think of more creative and, and interesting ways to address my current uh, role day to day or to meet an outcome I've been asked to do that most people are doing it in a certain way, but I have found a different way. Um, to get a similar result. And I think when you have that culture, I think what happens is, is that the opportunities to do things in a different way become much more apparent. It's more natural way of thinking. And then when we, we start thinking that way, I think it becomes much more clear to us where, where we can go really make a difference versus get caught up in the more traditional way of doing things. Got it. Got it. So I'd like to, I'd like to position this little differently and not this is like a case or anything um but i think the easiest way to kind of really hear your perspective on this is to talk about a, uh you know a business or a you know a company or a customer mm -hmm. so i'm thinking and i kind of ask some of these questions with other guests as well so let's say you have a, a construction a, a massive you know architecture engineering construction company global global company um they're not really interested in the cloud because they do things a little, a little more old school. Um, they probably lots of mergers, um, a lot of acquisitions. Um, you know, it's a, a very old business, and they don't understand this line of, of thought. 
and and you are charged with kind of going and talking to the CEO and the CIO and whomever is you know CMOs whoever would would have us about why they need to start thinking differently. What do, what does that look like? You can have as much fun with it as you want, but sure. we're just I'm just trying to tease out some of the things that you think about in these in these situations. Sure, sure. So like in 2011. Um, uh, Mark Andreessen coined the phrase software eats the world. Um, and I love it. Uh, and it's really cool. But if I went and I talked to um, like a VP of operations of a construction services and engineering consulting company, it might not resonate with them. That really may not be very meaningful. And so I think when I talked about culture, like you have to, the first thing I would talk about, like for say an operational executive in a company like that uh, would be to talk about how are they doing, what are they doing to try to continue to best prioritize and deploy their resources to go after the problems they're trying to go after? Um, I would start there versus trying to start talk about like digital transformation is technology driven because the reality is, is that their desire to transform is only going to be driven ultimately by the need to better prioritize customer outcomes project outcomes, business outcomes, operational metric outcomes, et cetera. Um, when I talk about culture, it's really about asking, like, what are they doing to then embed their best and brightest people that can understand how to kind of uh, apply technology to solve these problems to get them closer to the business? Um, in 2007, I read this amazing book. It's called The IT Value Stack. It's written by a guy named Abe McCormick. Um, it's one of the most important books I've ever read. I mean, I put it right up there with like Slack or The Innovator's Dilemma or The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Um, the, it's not a very well-known book. It came out a bit early. But the reason why I mention it a lot is that um, it really talked about the need in technology to embed your assets, your people, your human capital closer to business process and frankly, to kind of give up control and to encourage the business to help more directly drive the outcomes. The theory behind it was, um, and I think the book was written with outsourcing in mind, was that largely that, hey, maybe many you know, IT jobs and IT functions over time might be outsourced. I don't think that's the right way to think about it. Um, but if I apply kind of today's lens to it, like what's happening with cloud, what's happening with disruptive technology, I think the best the best asset you can have as a technology organization is deep insight on your own business and deep connection with your customer stakeholders. So you're closer to the pulse of the problem. So when you get the benefits of agility and transformation, it's meaningful because you can apply it faster and to the right problems. And so when I talk about, when I talk to companies about that, it's like, if you understand those priorities and if you understand how you're getting your, your change agents, um, your your best technologists, your best thinkers, your best problem solvers, closer to the business process, to the to your end customers, to those challenges. Digital transformation doesn't become this exercise of trying to figure out how to you know to use the right buzzwords and to plug in technology where it needs to be plugged in. Digital transformation becomes like, hey, there's this amazing toolbox to go out and solve these problems, and we put the best people we know to solve them close to them. And now they have so much deeper insight than they ever had before. And we can unlock their potential to go solve them in a different way. And so I think conceptually, that's how I try to attack it. 
when I'm talking to a customer about their transformation journey. So if you're in construction, what, is, what does that mean? Like who in your organization is out on job sites, out on project sites, observing directly what's going on, not talking about IOT or sensors or you know, mobility as a concept to apply, but actually understands how people are working day to day and then brings that insight back to say, hey, based on what we're seeing, this is the next thing that we can do. And now we've got all these amazing tools behind us to go help us do it. Um, if the customer doesn't have that capability, what I like to suggest is, hey, we have people that know how to do that. We have strategy advisors, digital transformation experts, advisors, um, you know, across different areas of our business that can come in and they can help you do it. And we can show you how we would approach that problem. So give us an opportunity to look at an area of your business that's really challenged and that you think is kind of ripe for change. And let's observe it closely and let's bring the insights back for you. And, and we can partner together to help you on that journey to figure out how to do that in a more iterative fashion and to make that part of your own culture. So, and I see customers that are in different places on the spectrum here. I see companies are already down this path. They're taking this approach. Maybe it's a business unit IT structure. Maybe they're just much more empowered in the business to direct the investments. Maybe the partnership with IT is really strong um, and it kind of helps facilitate what I'm talking about. And I see other customers that they're just struggling to kind of, you know, keep the lights on, satisfy their customer needs, operate. It's nothing wrong with it, right? It's just how they've kind of ended up. And they're struggling to create the space for this and to, and to kind of justify the investment. But I think that's the first hurdle you have to get over is that that deep level of business insight and connection to your end customers and your key stakeholders is what's going to make transformation real because it's going to be really driven by your most important priorities and not driven by a set of technologies or tools or capabilities that you're trying to map in in an unnatural way. Is that helpful? That 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 was that was amazing. <laughs> so, but you know, it's and it's I love that, Randy. That's why that's why I call you. That's why uh, you know we want you on our conversations with customers because there's a lot there. I mean, there's a, a ton there that we can kind of extract. But I think in the center of that, there's a lot of excitement. Um, there was a lot of knowledge, a lot of passion. You're, obviously, you're you machine gunned out a, a ton of books, which I'll go ahead and I'll throw in the in the show notes so people can just go ahead and pick those up. Um, the, the Craig Christensen Innovators Dilemma, things like that. Um, you know, where where does where does the excitement come from? What if what if uh, how do you you know whether you're a customer or you're you know work for Microsoft or a competitor? Like, how do you found that excitement? and start to get deep there because it's, uh, you know, it's hard to think that way. You have to start thinking radically and all these different things, but then how do you get deep? Well, I mean, for me, it, it's, it's all about perspective and kind of where you come to this from. We all come from a different place. Um, so I think, you know, knowing how your own perspective is formed, like what's important to you, what drives you. I mean, this is sort of getting more into the, the people and the human and emotional side of it. But I think that's, it's so important, right? Like mm -hmm. knowing what drives you every day is going to make you much more effective. Um, having empathy for the people you work with and knowing what drives them is going to make you more effective at connecting with them. And I believe that applies to customers. For me, just to share my own perspective, I came up in the industry right around the time, like my career was just getting going right around the time of the dot-com crash. Um, and so if you look at what happened there, it's kind of interesting, right? You look back, it's like 18 years later, 
Like some of the companies that were most severely impacted by that crash are like the world's most valuable companies now, number one. Number two, the companies that all failed that people used to laugh about and make jokes about, um, all of those ideas have come back and are like unicorn level valuations or higher. You know, look at the billions of dollars that Walmart uh, paid for Flipkart um, to get into the market um, in India, right? Um, that is essentially a derivative of like web ban, which people used to joke about. They're like, oh, that's a terrible idea. It'll never work. What changed? Well, I think a lot of things changed, but the bottom line is cloud economics has driven so much opportunity where now the investments you make in new ideas are really into human capital, not into uh, traditional capital. And I, and I don't think this was surprising. I mean, if you think about it, the, the computer age and that revolution came in the tail of the industrial revolution. And so if you kind of look at the history, you'll say like a lot of what happened was is we tried to take the same kind of um, industrial innovation mindset and apply it to technology, which is like, okay, we make big investments. We invest in infrastructure. We invest in software. We invest in all these things. And the reality is, is that the barriers to entry were high over time. So when I look at what we can do now, that gives me tons of energy because I see that um, it's really unbounded possibility and super low barrier to entry. So, um, you know, when I talk about culture and kind of giving people permission to be creative or to think of new ways to solve problems, it's not just for the sake of getting, you know, keeping people engaged, although I think that's very important. It's to make sure you don't miss opportunities because the difference is you don't have to invest massive amounts of resources to go pursue opportunities. Experimentation's never been any easier. Um, it's never been easier in, in history than it is today to go pursue a new idea um, and, and to deliver it at global scale and try it. And if it doesn't work, to turn it off and move on to something else. And so it's for me, it's about understanding in the, in the companies that we work with and the customers that we support, what are they excited about? Where do they see those types of opportunities? Where do they see a way to do something new in their industry? And if they don't see it, maybe we can introduce them to someone who has seen it, who's experienced it. Maybe it's another customer. Maybe it's one of our strategists or advisors that's uh, had the experience in that industry. And where they don't necessarily have that spark, we can be, we can be part of helping them to create it. That's fun. Um, had a chance to do that a couple of times. Or where they already have it, how do we help them just to get there faster and to get all the benefit of our experience along the way. So the journey is just, you know, a little bit easier. And so where, whichever way we're coming at it from, I think it really comes down to, you know, understanding how the, how the customers we work with, the people that we're working with day to day are motivated and how can we tap into that and be a productive part of helping them to achieve the goals that they have. And when you look at it in this industry right now, um, there's so few problems that we're running into that like are just not feasible to solve. There's so few problems we're running into where um, there's technical limitations. I'm not saying they're not out there. I ran, I ran into a customer yesterday and we were talking about a specific problem and they referenced this math theorem and talked about how they have like all these machine learning experts working on the problem. And they asked like, hey, you know, do you guys have resources to bring to the table? And we're going to work on that and we'll see. But I, I don't know if our I don't know if our experts are necessarily going to be able to solve it. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, ninety nine percent of the problems we run into day to day 
they're solved problems and it's a matter of prioritization, understanding, you know, you know, how to get the right resources to them, understanding how that helps to drive the ultimate right outcomes. And so that's what I look to tap into is where is that energy there and how can we be part of kind of channeling it in the most positive way? That's great. So I want to dive deeper into that, Randy. So you're, what I was thinking when you were talking about this is like tapping into that energy and then, you know, you're talking about this excitement and um, you're kind of the go-to guy for anything that's, you know, if I need to, if I need a machine learning model to do X, Y, Z, or if I need someone who's really specifically targeted in this era of technology, you're kind of the go-to person. And I know that you uh, managed people like that for a long time. Um, and human capital is becoming ever more important, especially in the age of the cloud, because to your point, um, not that we're outsourcing, but we're facilitating more proprietary thought and taking away uh, taking away technology um, from people and putting it towards uh, processes so that people can focus probably more on innovation. So how does that impact the way that you build teams or you know, what is your perspective on how customers and big companies and businesses should be looking to build teams? Because they're all coming to us and saying, how the heck do I hire a data scientist? You know, how do I know they're good? So what, like, give us, give us some tips here. What's going on there? Yeah, that is, um, man, uh, that is probably <laughs> the biggest challenge I see that we're facing. I love, I love the question. Um, it's a hard one, though. Um, yeah. A couple things. I think... The reality is, is that um, it's it's like any it, innovation is driven out of um, necessity very often, right? Like when you look at the history of many important technology breakthroughs, inventions, um, it's driven out of some kind of real need and a persistence to solve the problem. And someone was able to capture something, um, you know, generate some new idea, uh, not because they were just they just woke up and it just occurred to them one day because they really worked at, um, at, at, at solving that problem. You know, they iterated, they invested, they they focused on it, they spent time on it. I think one of the things that is apparent to me right now in our industry is that um, you know we've got to do a lot more work. I think to create the environments. Um, broadly, whether that's us as Microsoft and, and as part of an ecosystem of service providers and companies that provide these platforms and capabilities um, to, to train and develop and, and make it easier for people to use these tools and apply them to business problems. And I think on the same time, by the same token, I think it's incumbent upon many of our customers to adopt that mindset as well and understand that the next generation workforce, um, that the people that you're hiring today, they're coming out of colleges, coming out of computer science programs, coming out of MBA programs with the case studies they understand, um, coming out of finance, are going to be in 10 years. So these are people that are, you know, call it 22 to 27 years old. In 10 years, they're going to be using a set of capabilities that do not do not exist today that are in, in many cases have not even been fully kind of conceptualized. Um, and they're going to be forced to adopt and absorb and, and, and learn as they go. I think the lesson of that, I think, and I think that's not a, even a provocative statement, right? I think almost everybody we would, we would present that to would say, you know what, you're probably right. Like 10 years ago, we could not imagine that we were going to be getting out of our data center. 
10 years ago, we could not imagine that 80% of our business applications and, and tools that we run the business on are delivered through a software as a service model. 10 years ago, we could not have imagined that we, you know 100% of our email collaboration, document sharing and collaboration would be facilitated by cloud services. Um, but that's a reality for many, many of our customers today. And if they're not there, they're on a journey to get there. So what does that, what does that teach us? What it teaches us is that you know, um, is that that change is coming. It's coming at a very fast pace. That pace is only increasing. And all of the people that we had in the workforce at that time, they had no exposure to those tools or capabilities, that had no exposure to those models for delivering services, um, had no concept of what we were, of how that was going to play out. They're all thriving in the environment today. Um, I think the same thing is true when it comes to applying data science and democratizing that in companies. I think the same thing is true in thinking about new paradigms around how to build applications that are cloud ready. I think that's true when we start to think about concepts like the intelligent edge and the intelligent cloud and hiring the next set of skilled developers or technologists or even kind of business architects that will help to define how processes work and how we apply these solutions. So what do we have to do? Um, we need to hire people based on their desire to learn. We need to hire people based on their energy and excitement about what we're doing. We need to hire people uh, based up upon um, their interest to, you know, to dig into these areas and their excitement about it. Um, because those things are going to fuel their capacity to grow and change and, and learn and, and absorb all of this much more so than a base of knowledge. Um, you know, the conventional wisdom used to be you hire PhDs and people with master's degrees and, you know, you, um, and I'm, by the way, I'm all for education. I think it's very important. It's very formative for people. But what are you seeing now in computer science? The rule used to be go hire PhDs and people with master's degrees. Um, you know, and that was, uh, and I remember when Google was kind of a young company, that was the, that was the thinking there, like, oh, we hire, we, you know, anybody from the Stanford pipeline, the Berkeley pipeline, some of these other major schools, you know, University of Washington and others, like we just hire those people. And now um, I saw an article this past week that says that like many of these companies are dropping even their requirement for college education. Why is that? Because the things that we're teaching people in those programs are not even going to be applicable in maybe a few years. And in many cases, probably aren't even applicable right now. And so I think it's a, um, it's about, again, you know, understanding where we're going, understanding what are the types of characteristics, traits, um, you know, what is, what is going to be um, the, what is going to help people to succeed in this environment that's changing at such a rapid pace. And yeah, if you're hiring someone for engineering, I think having some technical foundation um, in, in, in engineering certainly can help. But there are ways to assess people that have engineering aptitude that have nothing to do with going, you know, and, and studying engineering um, in a higher education setting for six years or eight years, right? So I think we're gonna have to get more creative. I think the other thing is we're gonna have to, um, we're going to have to anticipate that a lot of the software and the services and the things that we're delivering now are going to be infused with AI. And so what does that mean? What that means is, is that we think about there's going to be layers of abstraction 
that come in that allow you to solve problems now that, that you don't have to have necessarily the same level foundation to solve. And so, again, I think it's a mix of things, you know, obviously creating a work environment and a place where you can attack, attract, attract the best and brightest today certainly is always going to be a good thing to do. Being more thoughtful about where you can train and develop people and kind of equip them um, for that changing environment certainly important. And I think also thinking ahead and saying, you know, how fast can you get to more self-service? How fast can you get to business empowerment with your solutions? I mean, we have partners now that are delivering AI solutions that can be literally driven by an end user where they can sign up in a web portal and they don't have to understand at a deep level statistics. They don't have to understand machine learning models. They don't have to understand it to start to get some exposure to it. Now, are they going to uh, create the most highly predictive models and are they going to have the most efficient, effective way to deploy those in the business and to, math, to analyze massive amounts of data and, and train those models? No, they're not going to, but the reality is they can probably start solving some problems today. So again, I think this is a big challenge. It's a, it's a multi-dimensional problem. It's going to take a lot of different thinking. And I think a forward-looking organization is going to think across all of those areas. Where can we empower the business? Where can we hire for talent and aptitude and develop and train people along the way? Where can we hire the best and the brightest people where we still need to have that strong foundation? Um, and then how can we continue to stay aware of the latest developments that allow us to democratize this more so we can tap into more of the organization to help us get the outcomes we need to. Awesome, Randy. That's incredible. I love it. Just, I mean, I, I can't wait to, to re-listen to this. <laughs> just so many, so many nuggets there. And you, I mean, you hit everything. You hit a lot of the things that a lot of folks care about. I'm a big believer in diversity and why diversity in the workplace and not just race and ethnicity and sexual orientation, all those different things, age, experience, it all comes down to all those different things. And it's super refreshing to hear that people are thinking about that, especially folks like yourself that are managing these big teams. Um, with that, I know we're approaching the top of the hour and you have space stations to build, apparently. <laughs> so, um, you know, what's, what's next for you, Randy? What do you want to do with all this stuff, this excitement? I mean, oh, what are you going to do, man? Yeah. Um, well, first off, I'm just privileged to be here. I mean, I look back. I've been at Microsoft almost 15 years. I look back at it. I have one of the best jobs on the planet to spend all my time every day thinking about how we help companies be more effective, how we empower our people, um, how we go after really interesting problems. I work with some of the smartest, most energized and motivated people. Um, and so I just hope I get to keep doing it um, because I feel super lucky to do it. I think if I look at Microsoft, like where are we going as a company? We have a really cool history of reinvention. And, uh, you know, we've actually just gone through in the past few years, I think what many people are kind of objectively saying, you know, academics, scholars and business, um, you know, uh, industry observers saying like one of the most incredible transformations in the history of, um, of kind of the corporate entity and that model of doing business, right? Um, where we completely transformed how we do business, we completely 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 transformed our market opportunity. I tell people, we talk about this a lot, you know, we used to have a business that was predicated on there's about three or 300 million to 400 million uh, PC units that go out into the market every year. And, you know, 20% of the global population has access to these things in some way, shape or form. And every economic opportunity we have is about how do we address that, that base. Um, and now we're in a multi-trillion dollar market opportunity 
driven by cloud innovation, where I'd say that every single industry, every single business on the planet, every single function that we do every day is going to have some connection to that. Um, and that will be, we're just at the start of it. And that will be the case for, for I'll say decades, the foreseeable future. It's an exciting place to be. Um, but for our company, what's most important is that we continue to take the next steps around how AI um, manifests itself in our products and really changes the experience of working with our technology. For me, you know, um, we think nothing about saying, hey, like we can help a customer to solve problems in collaboration through something like Teams, and then we can empower them and even connect technologies to help them, uh, you know, deliver a great customer experience through maybe a Dynamics CRM application, and then we can help them to visualize the benefits of, of this work that they're doing and, and these outcomes through like Power BI. Like that's, that's here today, and many people are doing that kind of stuff. What we don't often think about is what's the right information presented to a person based on their role, based on their context, their level of experience, based on who are the customers they're working with at that time, based on maybe what geography they're in, what place of the part of the world they're in, that help them to make the best use of their time right now to help their, their company, to help their business move forward, to help a customer solve an important problem. Like, um, and think about, a, think about a day where you didn't have a set of meetings scheduled on a calendar and you came to work, but think about where you were, um, had an intelligent agent that was assisting you to know who else on your team was working on a problem that you had expertise on, and you could jump into that problem and help them for 10 minutes to move forward um, and to solve it. And then you could go back to what you were doing. And then all of a sudden you realize that based on a supply chain disruption for one of your major customers, that they needed help applying a solution to it immediately, not working on a six month project to try to figure out how to solve it, but solving it today. And you could come in and give them advice, maybe deliver resources virtually, maybe help them with like a new model to help them analyze the problem um, that had been developed elsewhere. Like, that real-time application of our insights, of our technology, of tapping into the, the, the potential of a person coupled with the right technology to achieve a better outcome, like that's our future. And so um, I think that's a real opportunity for us. Um, we are moving into a future where we, we talk about amplifying human ingenuity through AI, and it's a core principle of our business. But I think about the potential where we can really not just change the tools people use day to day for how they do their job, but change the entire definition of how a job works, about how a skilled worker can drive impact in their business, about how decisions can be made that drive direct top line impact, direct customer experience, and not in a systemic way where we go out and build systems to solve the problem, but in real time, understanding what's going on and we apply technology and human capability to, to make the world better today. Um, and that's the future I get excited about. And I think we're going to look back in five years and say, wow, like we're already very far into that journey. Even though what I talked about to many people may seem like it's very futuristic. I think we're just right on the cusp of it and it gets me excited to get up every morning. Well, we're very thankful and excited to have you share that with us because it's, it's, it's really great. And I, I love how it, it came back down to human capital and empowering people, um, uh, which is so important. 
Um, Randy, how can folks get a hold of you? Um, is LinkedIn a good way? Um, Absolutely. So I am Randy Holloway on LinkedIn. Um, I am Randy Holloway on Twitter. That's R-A-N-D-Y-H-O-L-L-O-W-A-Y. I'm sure you'll have that in the show notes. So LinkedIn, Twitter, love social media, love to connect with folks. Um, I actually have my phone number published on LinkedIn as well. I'm a texter. <laughs> so, you know, if you text me and I don't know you, I promise I'll respond. And, uh, and you know, if you're, if you're reaching out to me and you're that persistent, you're probably a person I need to know anyway. So absolutely. Any of those are great. That sounds great. Well, you know, it really sounds like we need to do this again and maybe over a beer, uh, not necessarily Joe Rogan style, um, but we definitely need to, to have some more fun here and, and really get deeper, Randy. So I really appreciate you joining us today. Oh, Derek, thanks so much. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Randy. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us in the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought form where we share knowledge and ideas. Views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.